Our speaker this morning is Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Moore is the Dean of the School of Theology and Senior Vice President for Academic Administration at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves as a preaching pastor at Highview Baptist Church. Dr. Moore is a senior editor for Touchstone, a journal of mere Christianity, and the author of several books, including Adopted for Life. And copies of Adopted for Life are available after the service in the narthex. Would you please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. I'd like for us to read from a very familiar passage of Scripture for most who have been in Christ for very long. Romans 8, 12 through 17. While you're turning there, let me tell you what a thrill it is to be here at College Church. So thankful for the way that the gospel and mission of the kingdom of Jesus Christ has resonated from this pulpit and from this congregation for so many years. So thankful and indebted to you for your pastor and the influence that he has all across the evangelical world, around the, uh, the, around the world, over, across the globe. Thankful for his writing, his speaking, and for his faithfulness. And thank you for this congregation and for the way in which you spread forward out from this place through gospel and mission around the world. It's a joy to be co-laboring with you for the kingdom of Christ. Romans chapter 8, let's begin reading with verse 12 and read through verse 17. And if you would, would you please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the Word of Christ. These words are breathed out by the Holy Spirit, so they come with the exact same authority this morning as if our Lord Jesus were standing here verbally speaking them to us. And this is what the Spirit of Christ says through the Apostle Paul. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we recognize right now as we stand here before Your Word that we're not standing simply in a building in Wheaton, Illinois. Father, we have come by the Holy Spirit to the heavenly Mount Zion, and we are standing right now before your throne with myriads and myriads of angels and the redeemed of all of the ages. And Father, we wish to confess with all of them that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Father, would you silence any spirit in this room that exalts itself above or beside the name of Jesus Christ? And would you, through your Spirit and by your Word, crucify every part of our hearts, our minds, our affections, our consciences that is not Christ-shaped? And would you conform us into the image of your Son that He might be the firstborn among many brothers? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It got to where my wife could tell when my blood pressure was starting to rise because 
we would have people asking the same question over and over and over again. And part of it was probably the jet lag. Part of it was probably the stress and exhaustion of an adoption process. But we had just returned from one of two trips to the former Soviet Union, to an orphanage there where we had met two little one-year-old boys at the time who were to become our sons. And after a week or so of being with them and appearing in court, we had to return to the United States and wait to get the word that all of the paperwork was processed and we could come and receive our sons. So we were kind of like a couple expecting a baby through pregnancy, showing everyone ultrasound photos. We would show people those pictures that we had taken in the orphanage, and we would say, this one right here, he's Maxime now, but he's going to be Benjamin Jacob, our son. And this one, he's Sergey, and he's going to be Timothy Russell, our son. And whenever we would start talking about these boys, the same question would keep being asked. And the question was, now there's two of them, so are they, uh, are they brothers? And my response would be, well, they are now. Well, yeah, but are they really brothers? Well, yes, now they're our children, so they are really brothers. Yeah, but you know what I mean. And of course, I did know what they meant. What they meant was, do they share the same bloodline? Do they share the same DNA? Do they share the things that really matter? I understood that because that was the exact same kind of response, not articulated, but embedded down within me when my wife first came to me and said, you know, maybe the Lord is leading us after all of these years of infertility and miscarriage, maybe the Lord is leading us to adopt. And my response was to say, I'm all for that. I want to do that, but I want to do that later after we've had, in my horrific words, our own kids. Now, the problem there is that so many of us have that understanding of what it means to adopt, what it means to form a family, sometimes without even thinking about the fact that we have that understanding. And the problem with that view is not just that it impedes the church's mission to welcome in orphans into families, although that would be bad enough. The problem is that that understanding of identity and that understanding of belonging is completely inconsistent with the gospel that we have embraced. The frustration that I had with trying to explain that this was really a family, that these were really children, that these were really brothers, is exactly what is going on when the Apostle Paul speaks to the church at Rome and to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Galatia about the spirit of adoption. You'll notice that in this passage that we read, Paul opens it with a word that most of us don't even notice. He says, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. We immediately go to debtors and to flesh and to Spirit because we don't even recognize brothers. It doesn't seem to be all that unusual. It's just good Christian language. means the spiritual equivalent in our circles of friend or neighbor. It's the kind of word we use in a church setting when we've forgotten somebody's name. Hey, brother, how are you doing? You know, 
And every young single Christian man learns what it means when a young single Christian woman says, I love you as a brother in Christ. If you don't know what that means, it's not good for you. It's a word that has become meaningless, but it means everything to a church at Rome in which the Holy Spirit is bringing together in one body and in one family those who are Jewish believers and those who are Gentile believers. Because the entire Old Testament is built around the concept of brothers The people of Israel start as 12 brothers who become 12 tribes. And the Old Testament law teaches the people of God to distinguish between those who are the brothers and those who are the strangers. You will not exalt yourself above your brothers, the Scripture says. Now, here Paul speaks to the church, and he doesn't speak to the church as the brothers and the strangers, the brothers, and the neighbors. He doesn't speak to the church in that way. He speaks to the whole church as a household. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. All are one in Christ, and if in Christ, then sons of God. There is a new identity, but Paul says that identity is hard to see. And that identity is hard to see because it is not, he says, according to the flesh. You can't identify it that easily. You can't identify it by tracing your genealogy and your bloodline. You can't identify it by looking for a mark that's made in the skin. You can't identify it by some kind of external blessing that is coming upon you. You can identify it only by a spirit that isn't present with, with a, a, a way of being discerned by the eyes. The Spirit is present because the Spirit leads you away from the old direction, from that way that was going according to your flesh, which Paul says was only getting you to slavery. It was only getting you to fear. And ultimately, it was driving you toward the grave and driving you toward death. He says, you though, have received a spirit of adoption, which means you have a new identity. You are now the children of God. All of you who are in Christ are now the children of God. And how do you know that? He says, you know that because of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are the children of God. Now, sometimes that that language throws people because there are all kinds of people in any given church who are grappling all the time with, am I really a Christian? Am I really received by God? How can I be here with all of these doubts and with all of these fears and I don't feel as though I'm a child of God? And that person may read that passage and say, well, that means evidently I don't know Christ because the Spirit isn't testifying with my spirit that I'm the child of God. Well, that assumes that what Paul means here is that the spirit is like an internal prompter, 
reassuring you, you are really the child of God. You are really the child of God. Do not worry. You are really the child of God. That's not the Spirit of God. That's Jiminy Cricket. That's not how the Spirit of God works. Paul says the Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are the child of God, and then he shows you how. It is not by creating this kind of zen-like tranquility. It is by prompting within you a scream. He says, we cry out, we scream out, Abba, Father. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit drives you, Paul says, to look around at this fallen world that we are living in, at this world of divorce courts and abortion clinics and mudslides and malaria, and to groan and to cry out sometimes with groanings too deep for words. But you are crying out in the direction of a common father. You believe that you will be heard because you are living out the life of Christ who is living in you by the Spirit and who prompts you to join His life. Sometimes we say in our evangelical Christian circles, let's give our life to Jesus. Won't you give your life to Jesus? Jesus doesn't want your life. Your life's a wreck. Jesus wants you to join Him in His life. And that's what happens when we are adopted into the family of God. The Spirit of Christ starts to work within us, including that groaning out of Abba. Now, here's why this is significant. In any given time and in any given place, the satanic powers always want to drive us to find our identity in something other than the spirit of adoption. In the first century church, are you circumcised? Well, yeah, the circumcision made without hands, circumcision of Christ. Yeah, but are you really circumcised? In our circles, what color your skin is, how much money you make, where you live, Are you white-collar or blue-collar? Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you whatever? The categories that we all have to define ourselves according to the flesh and according to the world, Paul says, in order to be found in Christ and in order to walk according to the Spirit, you have to understand and know that your acceptance before God is because you have been brought in, you have been adopted into a family, you did not bring anything to the table at all, the Spirit came looking for you, and when you have been brought in in Christ, You are now really and truly the child of God, really and truly part of the family, really and truly brothers and sisters, despite all of those worldly and all of those carnal means of distinguishing ourselves from one another. It is a real household and a real family that is being formed. One of the stumbling blocks that many people have to welcoming in the orphan through forming families by adoption or foster care is because we tend to think that this is a second kind of family, that somehow it is not quite as real as something that is genetic or biological. That makes sense 
for a Darwinist. If what love is, is about protecting your genetic material, that makes perfect sense. That makes no sense for people who have been formed by the gospel. As a matter of fact, in the Scripture, the gospel that adopts us in as children means that there is no such thing as an adopted child. Adopted is not an adjective. Adopted is a past tense verb. It tells you how you came into the family, but once you are in the family, everything that it means to be part of the family is true of you. Sometimes people will, even to this day, come up and say, you've got these five sons, which ones are the real ones? And my response is to say, everyone that I'm feeding is real. Trust me on that. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. Which are the adopted ones and which are the, which are the regular ones? That, that distinction makes sense in terms of a past story. It does not make sense in terms of present status. My fourth son, Jonah, was three and a half weeks premature. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed about that. We will tell him the story of how he was born all of the time. But I don't speak of my four sons and my premature son, Jonah. I don't expect my obituary to say he is survived by four sons and one premature son. Nor do I expect it to say he is survived by three sons and two adopted sons. The spirit of adoption gives you a real and true identity. You now are brought in as a member of the household, and part of what happens when the church obeys that James 1.27 mandate by loving orphan and widow in their distress and affliction, and part of that means bringing into families those who do not have families and giving fathers and mothers to those who do not have fathers and mothers, is that we are reminded of how it is that we are in the kingdom and in the household of God in the first place. It's a sign to us. You know, it's a shame that right now, as the Spirit seems to be calling the church toward orphans and widows, it is a shame that many churches are seeing the diversity of the kingdom for the first time in families that are made up of multiple ethnicities and backgrounds. It's not a shame because those families are made up of multiple ethnicities and backgrounds. It's a shame that the church is learning that from these families rather than these families learning that from the church. The church should be the one that above all people understands and knows that we are able to receive and love one another despite all of these relatively meaningless differences. Like whether or not you are abled or disabled, whether or not you're black or white, whether or not you speak English well or you speak English poorly or you don't speak English at all. The gospel forms that commonality because it puts us at the same table and it puts us in the same family. And if we are, Paul says here then, those children received by adoption, then what does that mean? If you are children, if you have the identity then you have an inheritance, then you have a future. Right now, while you and I are gathered here in this room, 
There are babies in orphanages in the former Soviet Union rocking themselves in their cribs against the wall because there is no one to hold them. Right now, while we're here in this room, there are people in this county, children in this county, who are being moved from foster care home to foster care home to foster care home and being given the implicit message, no one will ever receive you, no one will ever love you. Right now, while we are in this room, there is probably a young woman in crisis within miles of this church who is planning to get in the car tomorrow and drive into Chicago where her child within her will be ground to bits and placed in a bag marked medical waste. And right now while we're standing in this room, there's probably a 12-year-old girl in Thailand who is waiting for a knock at the door from an American businessman who will have paid less than he paid last night for a steak to do unspeakable things to her. There are children and there are women all around this world who are receiving a message, you have no future. The reason that God calls us to show and to give a future is because we have been given a future. Paul says you are children, which doesn't just mean that you have a relationship. He says if you are children, then you are heirs. And if you are heirs, the question is heirs of what? You are joint heirs with Jesus so that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. And what belongs to Jesus? The ends of the universe belong to Jesus. You are future kings and queens that happens to you not because of your bloodline, not because of your performance. It happens because you have been adopted by grace and by mercy and by the blood of Christ into the family of God. You have been given the Spirit. You have been given resurrection life, which means that you are able to see a future even when you can't see it by the flesh. We suffer with him, Paul says, in order that we may be glorified with him. You say, I don't feel blessed. I've got pancreatic cancer. I don't feel blessed. I just got laid off at my job. I don't feel blessed. My spouse just walked out on me and abandoned me. I don't feel blessed. My child just walked away from the faith. I don't feel blessed. You suffer with him, Paul says, momentarily because you are a child and what is waiting for you is an inheritance that is everything. If you have been given a father and you have been given a family and you have been given a future by the gospel, then living that out incarnationally for some of you, That may mean adopting a child. For some of you, that may mean being in the foster care system. For some of you, that may mean welcoming an unwed pregnant woman into your home and ministering to her. For some of you, that may mean going and simply holding a child or being with a fatherless child in your community or sitting with a widow in her distress. We do that not because we are on some type of a crusade. We do that because this is what we have seen. 
and we live out what we learn from our Father. And our Father is an orphan-welcoming, widow-welcoming Father to the fatherless. We see that in the spirit within us that prompts us to cry out, Abba. But the most important thing that you and I can do for the cause of orphans and widows is not first and foremost to adopt. It's not first and foremost to foster. It's not first and foremost to organize mission trips. It's not first and foremost to sponsor children or birth mothers, although all of those things are important and necessary. The most important thing that we can do for the sake of the fatherless is to remember the gospel. The gospel is what it is that shows that identity and inheritance aren't merely biological. The gospel reminds us what it means to come from no family into a family. And the gospel reminds us that there's going to come a day when the pancreatic cancer is over, when the heart disease is over, when the unemployment is over, when the struggling with whatever temptation that you have right now is over, and raised from the dead, those satanic powers that accuse you right now will say one more time, according to the flesh, look at what's going on in his mind. Look at what happened in her life. How can these be children of the Most High and Holy God? Are they really brothers and sisters? The spirit of adoption points us to the day when the voice that once thundered over the Jordan will point to the shed blood and the empty tomb of Jesus of Nazareth and respond to those accusing voices one last time. They are now. They are now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, there may be some in this room that you are prompting to welcome a fatherless child into their homes. Maybe there are some in this room that you would call to adopt. Maybe there are some in this room that you would call to foster. Maybe there's some in this room that have been blessed financially and they can empower someone else to do so. Maybe there's some in this room that you are calling to, to minister to, to women in crisis in various ways. Maybe there's some in this room that you're calling to, to spend time with those children without dads in this community, to, to help those single mothers who are working two and three jobs to provide for their children. Whatever it is that you're calling us to, Father, I pray that you would just let us be open and receptive to that. But, Father, even more than that, I pray for the one in this room who is spiritually an orphan, who doesn't have that new identity, who doesn't have that new inheritance, who doesn't know really the answer to the questions, who am I and where am I going? Father, would you make that person miserable until he or she cries out, Abba, Father? Jesus is Lord. And Father, for the rest of us in this room who are often accused and who are often tempted to question, are we really loved and are we really received and are we really welcome? 
would you point us to our adoption, that we're adopted for life and adopted for everlasting life? Would you show us that in the face of Jesus Christ? And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen.